0: Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. Welcome to episode 70. Today I sit down with the founder of Better Life Bags, Rebecca Smith. Are you wondering why someone would name her business Better Life Bags? Well, today you will find out. Rebecca's first book, A Better Life, Slowing Down to Get Ahead, also releases today, May nineteenth, 2020. I have watched Better Life Bags grow from a small Etsy shop to a company that makes custom leather bags while hiring women from different cultures, faiths, backgrounds that all live in her city of Hamtramck, Michigan. Listen to what Rebecca has to
1: say about keeping your dreams alive while you wait. Like think right now, whoever's listening, like what is something that you wish that you could do or that you want to do more of? It can be something as small as I wish I had more time to read a novel um, or I wish that I could grow a cookie business. You know, like what it could be big, it could be small, but we often feel like we don't have it either has to be we we go after it now or we don't do anything at all. I feel like those are kind of the two options that are out there in the world is we see people hustling super hard and and hiring babysitters full time so they can dedicate 100% of their efforts to this dream of theirs of op- opening a business. Or we see people say like, well, right now I'm just going to stay at home. And that's that's fine if that's like honestly what God has given them. But if it's not if this is just a cop out like i can't do that because i have young kids i feel like both are not they're not right um and so the way that the business grew was right along with my kids and right along with the my family and i said no to a lot of like big hustle things that probably could have made better life bags a lot bigger than it is right now had i said yes to it and had i hustled but i wasn't willing to not be involved in my kids life
0: After listening to today's episode, I hope you realize there is great value in taking the next small step, in responding to the Spirit's still small voice within you, and in assigning a mission to almost anything you do. Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you so much for being on the Grace Enough podcast. Hi, Amber.
1: It's so nice to see you again.
0: I know. It's been a while. We're going to just jump right in and we'll talk a whole lot more about our story and just a brief connection that we had years ago. But go ahead, introduce yourself and your family to our listeners and tell everybody a little bit about what you do.
1: Sure. So my name's Rebecca Smith. I am married and have four kids, ranging from age 10 all the way down to age one. So we have quite the age range. Um and we live in a little city in the middle of Detroit, Michigan called Hamtramck. And we run a business here. Um we've lived here now for 10, maybe 11, 11 years now. Um wow. it's been and we yeah, have run the business. The business has kind of grown up from a hobby all the way into this full-blown actual real live business.
0: <laughs> right. And I mean, you all are a retail storefront at this point. I mean, you have been for a while, but that's kind of evolved over the years as well.
1: Yeah, we still do majority of our sales online, but we do open our workshop. We have a little retail spot in front that we open up every Saturday for people to come in and see the bags that that's we so make. Cool.
0: Now, is it right in the city or is it close to your house? Where is the actual storefront?
1: both. So it is um Hamtramck is only 2 square miles. So it's a tiny little city, but it's full of people, like very urban. You know, we're right smack dab in the middle of Detroit. Um but we somehow years ago they remained their ownership of their city when Detroit was like gobbling up neighborhoods. Um the um storefront is in Hamtramck and then our house is a mile away. So okay.
0: Well, tell me, before we really dig into Better Life Bags, how did you come to know Jesus? What has your faith journey looked like?
1: Yeah, so my um, parents became believers in college through Campus Crusade. All right. Um, yeah. We Shout out I was to awesome crew. <laughs> yeah, I was involved with that in college, too. So it was kind of a fun full circle event. So they raised um, us kids. No. Uh, teaching us the gospel from like very young age. Um, My dad grew up very strict Catholic. And so we actually joined the Catholic church or my mom did, you know, in order to marry him. They were both believers. They both believed that Jesus, you know, was paid the penalty for our sins, was the way to heaven. Um, But we remained in the Catholic church for um, up until I was in eighth grade. And my mom and dad would always tell us, and this is true no matter what church you go to but um for me it felt special that we were in we were going to the catholic church to tell people about jesus mm-hmm. and i thought that was so like such a neat mission which i really like growing up i realize now there are people who don't follow jesus Every church, yeah, I've realized as I've grown older, there's people in every church that need to hear about Jesus. You know, that's not true of just the Catholic faith. Um, but that was kind of our mission field growing up, and so I had this, this purpose and this mission in, in going to CCD class every um, every Sunday. And I honestly wasn't hearing much about Jesus. Mm, in the church, it was from my parents at home that I learned the most. Um, but when I when we got to eighth grade we, I started fighting my parents on wanting to go. I was bored, you know, like none of my friends went to that church. And so my parents thought, okay, for the sake of, you know, our kids, let's yeah. go to kind of a church that has a vibrant youth group. And mm-hmm. so we um transitioned at that point to just more like non-denominational Bible-based church. And that's where I finished like the rest of my high school, college age type church going to, and just really then like, seeing, oh, like, this is what vibrant relationship with Jesus looks like, you know, mm-hmm. seeing that in my youth group leaders, um, in some of my friends. And really, that became like my obvious, my social group, of course, right. and um, just kind of the environment I grew up in. And I was still kind of all along, I was I heard people talk about like personal relationship with Jesus. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like, we can't see him. We can't like, how do you have this personal relationship with God? But at that point, I had been a Christian for so long, you know, like I had been saved, you know, the salvation. I'd prayed the salvation prayer f- so long ago. And then I felt like I had to have this second, like, how do I make him now Lord of my life? Yeah. So there was like this salvation moment when I was young. And then in college, or even like I would probably say right after college, I really figured it out what it meant to give my whole life to Jesus and Mm -hmm. like develop that relationship through like reading the word and prayer. And like, that's how he speaks to us. And that's how we speak to him. And, um, the Bible is so living and so alive and like random verses from the old Testament I would read and it would apply to like something I was going through in my life. I was like, Oh, this is what people mean. This is the relationship part that I feel like I've been missing. Um, throughout like high school and college. And honestly, I was too uh, embarrassed to ask anybody, how do you have that personal relationship? Cause I was put into leadership of all these youth groups, oh, yes. you know, like, so I'm like, I'm supposed to have these answers. And but I, don't I think want-
0: that can be just almost the things to be cautious of, or to caution our kids about that grow up in the church, because you do feel like you should have all these answers and Oh, because I've been in the church, then I should be farther along maturity wise And the more and more people that I talk to, the more and more I realize that it really is just some of that happens with age and repetition. Mm -hmm. It's not, oh, I wasn't saved. For sure. It was your own personal faith development that honestly i think happens whether you get saved at age 4 or you get saved at age 20 it's just by the time you're older you can put different language to it and i don't need to be resaved i just need to repent of my rebellion for sure <laughs> for sure yeah you know yeah it's definitely just a repetition like you're you're learning to read god's word so you get closer to him the next time you read it you learn more about him exactly just yeah. a deepening well, as we jump into talking about Better Life Bags, I just think back to when we were, you know, both bloggers and you were just starting on this path. And I mean, I didn't continue to do anything with mine per se, but I've watched Better Life Bags grow over the years. And so take us back to when you were a young mom back in Savannah, Georgia, and just how did y'all end up moving from Savannah to Michigan, and then we'll go right into what happened after that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I started that blog. It's like Better Life Blog, or I don't even remember what it was called. I mean, that's (laughs) been like 12, 15, yeah, 12 years ago? 12 years. Yeah, 12 years. I started at the same time, maybe 11, somewhere between 11 and 12. It gets foggy. Who knows? four Um... kids
0: later. Amen, sister.
1: (laughs) A long time ago, way back in the day. Um, Yeah, I had been a teacher. I taught fifth grade. Um, That was my degree from college and always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, got pregnant uh, with Jonah, who's now 10. He'll be 10 and a half. And, um, made my first diaper bag and then posted pictures on Facebook and people were like, you should sell these. Have you heard of Etsy? You should open an Etsy shop. And I was like, what is Etsy? Of Etsy. It, like, yeah. I know Easy. I didn't even but it was so easy to open a shop so I I just went ahead and did it and then really like blogging was really starting around that time people and I loved reading blogs and I was like oh this would be a fun thing for me to do and kind of tag it on to the shop I was giving micro loans with each bag purchased to a woman who was in like a third world country mm-hmm. it' was like I can blog about her story and Which customer bought which bag and who that bag is going to help. So the Better Life bags, it was always called that. The mission has evolved over time. But it started with microloans. And so, yeah, I just, I enjoyed social media and Mm -hmm. I enjoyed blogging and it was very natural for me to kind of do both, and then I just copied what people did. I think we did giveaways together yep. back on our mm-hmm. our like and the so link, <laughs> the winkies. What were those things? Were you like wink up your your oh, like? Oh my gosh, logos? I don't even remember that.
0: I mean, <laughs> I know what you're saying. Like now, I'm thinking, yeah, you, like wink parties or
1: yeah, it oh, was my like,
0: gosh. Really, <laughs> like age but old. Did it start while you were in Savannah? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. See, in my mind, and even after reading the book, which we'll talk a little bit too, that's getting ready to come out and tell the whole story. um, Even reading it, I was thinking you didn't start until you were in Michigan.
1: Yeah, it started in Savannah. Only about six months in Savannah, I will say. So it was definitely still a hobby. Just I never imagined it would be a business at that point. Um, but I def- I opened the Etsy shop in Savannah, started the blog in Savannah. Six months into that, we moved to Michigan to this little city called Hamtramck. And um, our point in doing that was we were going to live here for two years, kind of immerse ourselves in a different culture. Mm-hmm. Um, this city is very diverse. It's Michigan's most diverse city. There's 26 languages spoken here in like two square miles. It's amazing. It's yeah, this the signs are in Arabic and Bengali, you know, like it's just very diverse. And so we thought before we wanted to be overseas and do missions work. So we thought before we make the a huge jump overseas, let's move somewhere that has a bigger diversity, you know, more diversity than Savannah, Savannah. Towards- Georgia. <laughs> yeah. Know, learn a language. (laughs) Yeah, then the South. No offense to the South, but there's not much diversity there. And um, and so we, yeah, we came to Hamtramck with a goal of being here for just two years. So we were maybe going to learn a language, try to make friends with people who didn't look like us because all of our friends up until that point looked exactly like us. And yeah, so it was supposed to be this really easy two year stop and then we'd head overseas. And it was the Hardest year of my life. I was, mm-hmm. I had no idea that I would rebel in the way that I did. <laughs> what do you least. mean when you say that, rebel? We got here. I had a newborn. So I'm in, I'm in like the newborn Listen, fog. I guess girl. Jonah was six months, but you know, he's oh, still.
0: Yes, yeah. a newborn fog.
1: Yeah. Unless was... you
0: had like the absolute dream baby. Well, and maybe even with the dream baby. I don't know because I didn't have one of those.
1: Yeah. <laughs> don't know what that's like yeah I ended up getting pregnant the month we were here too like Mm. so and then I was having like second baby surprisingly like close together and but really I think I would have struggled even without all of that like I was suddenly put I thought we were moving honestly I thought I was delaying the jump overseas by like moving somewhere here in America first I wasn't ready to do the whole mission thing like Neil when I when we got engaged he said, "I think that we should move to Iraq," and I was like, "Excuse me? Like, put on?" And all this is in the book, like the whole story of this. I was like, "You want to take me to a war zone? <laughs> like, I like, what I are you?" Sign up for about? that? <laughs> no. And I was so glad we were just engaged; we weren't married yet. And I just went back to God, and I was like this guy is the one that you want me to marry. And, you know, through like reading the word, God really opened my eyes to his heart for the world. And Mm. I had always just kind of been like focused on America and the needs in America and did inner city camps, you know, in college, I loved the inner city. Yeah. And like kids camps and different things like that. But I had never imagined myself going overseas for missions, Mm -hmm. but I knew God had this heart for the world. And I was willing to follow that if that's what, you know, his plan for our life was, but I was terrified, you know? So moving somewhere in America to me was like, okay, I still have two more years before like this jump, but we might as well have just gone overseas. Like the way it's so there's nothing in Hamtramck that looked like anything I was used to. Target is like 20 minutes away. Starbucks is 15 minutes away. Um, There's no Kroger, you know, like there's just nothing. There's markets. And um, a lot of the women are from Yemen. They're the Muslim culture, I should say. I don't think I've mentioned that yet. Like the city is mostly made up of Muslim people. And so they they cover, they're very conservative. So they cover in an abaya with, um, Everything's covered in black except for their eyes. I was not expecting that. Um, so when we drove through Hamtramck, and I was like, just embarrassingly to say now, but just like taken aback by where I was. Yeah. Um, it was very. It's a very poor economic area. So every other house was boarded up, burned down. Um, it felt like a movie set that I was moving to, and mm-hmm. I I just ran every chance that I that I could like to the surrounding suburbs that felt normal and, uh, comfortable to me. So Jonah and I, like I would just take Jonah and I'd go to the mall and just hang out there until I, the night, till it was time to go to bed and then come back and not surprising six months of that routine. I'm, I'm breaking down, telling Neil, like, I'm so sorry. Like we've made a huge mistake. I can't Mm -hmm. do this. Um, Like, let's forget about overseas. Like, I can't even do this city. And he opened the book of Jonah and was like, I just want you to read this. I was like, oh, man, you. I mean, I was bringing up that Nineveh business. (laughs) But it was the it was what I needed in that time was to see God has called us to this city, to this city. Like he called Jonah and I'm I'm running the right. other direction, like yeah. every single day. And so I just start this experiment of just like staying in the city and waking up and like walking to the markets here and pushing Jonah in a stroller here and just staying and trying to see what happens. Like if yeah. got Neil, I think specifically said like, what if God has a really cool story for you here and you're missing out on it? And I was like, Okay, yeah. I'll try. You know, like I'll see because I don't want to miss out on it. Well, um, I'm thinking back
0: now. Yeah. It's almost like God his faithfulness just never ceases to captivate me. Yeah. Because in the moment, it does. It feels like we just want to run. We want to mm-hmm. hide. We want to keep ourselves super super busy so that we don't have to deal with our own heart issues. Yeah. And Even though it's like, as you mature in your faith, you know, if you continue doing that, you're going to have all these regrets. Yeah. Or you can just kind of surrender and press through and you know, you're going to be like, God, you're faithful. You provide every time. Why do I always fight you?
1: I know. Yeah. And I think like more than anything, when people read the book, that's what I want them to close, like to finish the chapter See, not often do we get to see a 10 year story, you know, until yep. we've walked it, until we can look back 10 years and be like, oh, that's why this happened, or that's why mm. this happened. I want to know now, whatever I'm going through now. Then in 10 years, I can look back on it and be like, this is the better life. Like, what I'm living now, like, this is the good life that God has for me. Right. He promises that he has g- good plans for us, that we just have to walk in in them. And yeah, sometimes yeah. they're easy and exciting things to walk into. And sometimes they're really hard and terrible. And we're asking why all the time. Um, yeah. But we're just, they're good. Both of them are good, are yeah. good plans. So... The book is kind of the whole story of how it was hard, you know, the hard things we go through. But then God did have a really fun story for me. And
0: right. Well, you're walking up and down the streets. You're encountering people all the time that I mean, a lot of them you don't know anything about completely different cultures, oftentimes completely different languages. Yes. Mm -hmm. All the
1: while Better Life Bags is still going on yeah, I'm still like making bags during nap times and bedtimes. It's kind of an escape in a way for me, you know? And yeah. But I mean, you're also getting to a point of like, how can I
0: keep this up, this pace by myself? What Lord do you have for me? And so you end up inviting someone in. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about how that relationship happened Mm -hmm. and that, It's not like it was all just um, roses and beauty
1: (laughs) (laughs) early on. (laughs) Yeah. So this happened during my experiment time, I will say, like during the time where I was like, I'll just stay and see what happens. So Neil had been learning language, um, learning Arabic from a man who had a daughter my age. She had four kids um, and she knew how to sew. And so they both figured that out. And he said, my daughter needs to meet your wife. I'm going to bring her over. I, they need to arrange a meeting. And so Neil comes home and tells me, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do, like, I don't know. I don't know what to wear. I don't know what food she likes. I don't mm. know. Like, I just didn't know anything. Um, yeah, the and fear. I don't know her language. You know, I don't know anything, But, but I'll do, like, I was just in this experiment, which, that mindset really helped me push through fear. It's just like, this is just to see what happens, you know? And so I invited her over and like, sure enough, we could barely communicate. Um, we sat awkwardly in our, li- in my living room. And I eventually was just like, you, you know how to sew. And she said, yeah, like, yeah, cause that's the only thing I knew about her. <laughs> yes. So um, we went down to my To our basement where I had set up our little, my little Etsy studio. And we spent just the next hour and a half sewing, which we didn't need to talk for. You know, it was Mm -hmm. an activity that we both, it was a universal language for us. And so I taught her one of my bags, not thinking anything of it, just help me get out of this awkward situation. You know, like this is going to save me. I got her phone number just because it felt like the right thing to do. And then Mm -hmm. I didn't call her again because I, I did not want to put myself willingly in that awkward moment. But I'm glad I got her phone number because I'd say maybe six months, a year. Everything seems to go in these like six months, a year later Mm -hmm. patterns. Um, The business got way too busy for me. And I was like at a crossroads. Do I shut it down? Do I find a factory overseas? Um, And then I just like, well, maybe there's this third option. I, I remembered Nadia, who's, you know, sewed with me awkwardly in the basement. And I called her and I asked if she would, if I could teach her, like if I could hire her, basically, I, I was asking her for help. You know, I didn't think in any way that this was going to help her. Um, but I started this routine of visiting her house once a week, bringing the fabric pieces and then, then she would sew them together. And I would come back the next week and pick up what she'd done and drop off more fabric and of course, like in the Yemeni culture, they're very hospitable. So it's never a drop at the door situation. Like you're invited in and you have tea and you have like cookies and our kids would play together and we, we got to know each other. She uh-huh. had learned English, you know, much by watching cartoons actually with her kids. We have some um, friends
0: in the same, like same thing. What with the cartoons? Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, she had, like, thankfully learned. We were able to communicate so much better. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got to know her as a woman and as a wife and as a mom. And I realized that we had so much more in common than I I thought. I think I'd even told Neil at one time, I will never be friends with someone from a different culture. Like, it's just impossible, I -hmm. think I said. And then here I was, like, realizing, like, Oh, we have, we both like chocolate. We both like, <laughs> you know, we both want new kitchen cabinets. We both like walking to the park with our kids. There was a lot we had in common. Um, I just had to make this routine of putting myself in her home once a week, mm-hmm. you know, to see that happen. And um, shortly after I'm paying her, you know, per bag that she's making and I start noticing or she starts showing off different things that she's bought with the money that I gave her, things that I would consider necessities. I think most of us would like bed frames for her girls instead of like mattresses on the floor or like a dining room table instead of just eating on the couch. And it really clicked at that moment. I was like, wait, you're you weren't able to buy this before but now you are because of the because you've been making bags for me to help me like it wow. it just clicked in that moment that her life was a lot better because of this income this like side income that i was providing for her and then that's when we decided let's make this um let's try to see how many other women i'm sure there's other women in our community that Absolutely. For for one reason or another, can't just go out and get a job at yeah. McDonald's or the grocery store, you know, the markets here, um, but have a need for a job and have a skill and want to work. And um, yes, yeah, so we started intentionally growing at that moment.
0: <laughs> well, and that's really takes us into your mission because it, up to this point, you've been doing the micro loans, you have one employee and
1: mm-hmm. the mission
0: kind of stays the same, but also shifts a little bit. So 12 years in. What is the mission of Better Life Bags now?
1: Yeah, we say that it is to create meaningful work for women in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's gone through various um, transformations. I think one point it was uh, we hire women who have barriers to employment. Mm-hmm. Well, that didn't sit well with me <laughs> because, like, they... Yes, they have barriers, but I I don't know. I always want it to be empowering for them. Like I want the job to not feel like um a pity party or a right. charity. You know, I, I don't know how else to, to say it. Um, so I it's know gone exactly through. Or, what you mean though? I, I want them to feel like this is a really great place to work. I would choose to work here even if I didn't have a barrier to employment. Or you know, as they start working. Now they have something to put on their resume. They no longer have a barrier to employment, you know, like they can go out and get a job at a sewing place anywhere. And so I just started to not sit well with me. So things evolve and change and maybe in 10 years, creating meaningful work for women in our community won't feel right. And, you know, like it will have evolved by then, but that's currently what it, what it is and what we aim to do. So,
0: well, and even if we're using a different language than barrier, um, what are some of the things that were prohibiting them from having a job yeah because the reality is i think a lot of times when we think barrier people mm-hmm. can think oh homelessness or um you know drugs alcohol addiction true. and those things can be true but there's also things like the situation of better life bags where it's maybe yeah. you have young children at home and you can't afford childcare right so what are some of those that you would say, you know, we hire we've hired women in who are facing these situations.
1: Yeah, I mean we've definitely had the young kids at home can't afford childcare. Um a lot of our seamstresses choose to work from home mm-hmm. and so they can take their work home and just do it on their own schedule. Language is a big barrier. They don't need to be fluent in English to work at Better Life Bags. Um we like it if they're in English class, you know, like we have some partnerships with different English classes around town. um, But that's, doesn't have to be a requirement. Whereas for other jobs, it probably would. Education
0: stone, like you said, they're, they're ESL. You're wanting to prep them more and more to be able to be a thriving citizen in America.
1: For sure. And part of
0: that is your language. Just like if we were to move somewhere else.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Sorry yeah. To,
0: to interrupt. No, there, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just think about those things.
1: I think the probably the biggest one that people don't always think about, and that's probably specific to our community, which is mostly first generation immigrants from, like I said, Yemen, Bangladesh, um, Poland, Bosnia, Syria, Afghanistan, just lots of, they kind of land in Hamtramck first before and get their feet, you know, solid mm-hmm. before moving out to some of the suburbs Um, but they, they're nervous about America and, and their cultures, especially it is not accepted for a woman to work outside the home when other men that are not related to them are present. Um, it's just not, I mean, that's hard for us as Americans to accept. And I know some people will be like, well, that's stupid, you know, but that's their culture. You know, that's That's what it is. That's just the nature of it. And so, to have a place where it's all women, their husbands feel like know that when they walk into this workshop, they're not going to be working with other men. It feels like a safe place for them to to go to. And so, that's probably one of the biggest barriers um, from these women just going out and working at the dollar store. You know, is is the cultural difference of men and women.
0: Well, and it's so easy for us to be so quick to judge oh, well, that's ridiculous that a man or whatever would think that. But it's just like faith, right? You slowly add layers over time. And if you're going into a new culture, it's, I mean, it's just like anything. It's like learning to ride your bike. You don't just jump on and take off. Yeah. You put your foot out there. You begin to see like, oh, just because women work with men does not mean X, Y, or Z. And that can take... You know, one year for some families and 25 years for other families. And so just learning to appreciate and respect that about people.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Is half the battle for sure. Well, you wrote a whole chapter in your book on really like honing in on this mission statement. It was really convicting to me because Sam and I have talked about, written down things about a family mission statement and have yet to finish it. Why do you feel like it's so important to assign mission to almost
1: everything you're doing in your life? Um, well, I don't think you'll ever be finished with your mission statement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's part part of it. I love that you've even started thinking through it. To me, if I don't have a purpose and a mission behind what anything that I do, I feel very aimless mm-hmm. and I wonder why I'm doing it. Um, I think that's always a big question for me. Is why am I doing what I'm doing? If if we can assign mission, just even like it doesn't need to be like, oh, I'm I need to take this one day prayer retreat and decide on a mission for my, you know, like right. It can be just in the moment, like God, why am I doing this? And sometimes maybe He'll answer like, I don't know, why are you, you know, like why are you doing that? Maybe you shouldn't be. Or truth. <laughs> uh, I think for me, like when I think about my kids. The mission of, like, I want to raise them to love God and love people. Like, it's a very simple one. And so that drives, I think one example I put in the book, it drives my reactions to them. I'm not perfect at this, but if they spill milk, I don't get angry. Like, if they knock over their their cereal bowl, I don't get angry. If they hurt their siblings' feelings, that's when the punish. that's when, like, the consequences yeah. – Because that deals with loving people. Spilling Mm. milk doesn't have anything to do with loving people. Now, if they're like throwing milk at their siblings, you know, like there's certain things. But if it was an accident, my normal instinct is like, ah, why did you, you know, you were flailing your arms. You were too, being too excited. Um, Just sit and eat your stinking cereal. (laughs) I've never said that.
0: Maybe yesterday.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, right. But (laughs) if I can remember, like, well, wait, what's my mission here? Like, my mission is to help them learn how to love God and love people. Mm. I don't want to waste my discipline on this accident, this, like, spilled milk, you Mm. know? So that's one example. But it can go in all different, like, friendships and marriage and your work. And um, even if you work in the corporate world or you feel like, your job doesn't have an overall mission statement. Well, what is your mission for going to work? Like maybe your mission is to, it can change that day. Maybe that day you feel like my mission is just to ask somebody how they're doing really, you know, like really mm, how are they doing? An and it gives conversation. A, yeah, yeah. Or your mission is to like, write, leave a note for some, be the encouraging person that day at work, leave a encouraging note or a chocolate bar. You know, I just think it helps us, have purpose and be used, um, as the hands and feet of Jesus. So,
0: well, and I think a little bit about when you guys ended up moving into, I think it was, you moved into a different house and you took down the fence in your backyard between the homes. And you know, what was the mission there? What was your idea that you certainly had to stay focused on? Because again, it didn't just happen that day. It was more of a, okay, we're buying this house that requires some work and, Mm -hmm. but what's our overall mission? How can we stay focused on that to where when you get frustrated, it's something you can look on, you know, look to and say, okay, this is the the main goal.
1: Yeah. So we, when we were looking for a house, um, it was really hard to find a house in Hamtramck that fit all of my desires and needs God totally provided. I won't go into all the details, but it really feels like a miracle to me that, he provided this house when I didn't think it existed. And um, we wanted to live in community and we wanted to love our neighbors. And there already was not a fence on one side. I think the house next to us was like a mother-in-law house at one time or something. So there was never a fence between those yards, but then a family moved in on the other side Um, that kind of had a similar reason of being in Hamtramck. They were starting like an urban farm and really wanting to provide jobs in that way for the community, as well as like obviously fresh fruit and and vegetables. And um, our kids were about the same age. And we just really wanted to model like what it looks like to love each other, you know, like have community and um, we took down the fence between our yards and our kids just run. We have this big park back there. It's just another like miracle to me um, that God gave. But the funny thing is, or the the cool part is our neighbors who are Bengali, they have kids about our age, our kids age too. Um, one day I was out just gardening and I look up and he's cutting a hole in his fence and I'm like no, like, is this really (laughs) happening? Like, we're going to get all the fences taken down. And he was cutting a hole so that the kids Mm -hmm. would be able to run now between one, two, three, four yards. And they have a trampoline in their backyard. So it's just, I mean, it's a a symbol of, to me, of what we're trying to do in our community. But what I hope we're trying to do all over is, is just break down the walls and the fences that we put up between Mm -hmm. people who are different. Um, in whatever way they're different, you know, culturally or um, age, or, you know, to tear to take down those fences. It's just, it's been a visual reminder to me when I walk out to my backyard yeah. uh, of what, when we do it, then other people want to do it too.
0: Absolutely. Well, and then kids are often, they're just such a good example for us, right? They just see yeah. people their age and they're like, we're all in.
1: Yeah. Let's just be friends.
0: to play with those people. Well, let's hang out. You live in our neighborhood. You're about (laughs) our age. You must like to do what I do. Right. And it's true. (laughs) It is. is. We are more alike than different. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes you can't go after your dreams right away. And you know that. You have four young kids. What encouragement do you have or motivation do you have for someone who? Really is just in that place right now. If I have this dream, mm-hmm. um, but I just can't go after it right now, and that you know it feels almost like you're just grasping at the air.
1: Gosh, yeah. So I think I have a chapter called "Manage the Hustle," and I think that's probably what you're referring to. And I have a chapter called "Let It Simmer" or something. Some, something yes, about let it simmering. simmering. That's right. <laughs> what did I call that? Um, yeah. So. I do. And I didn't do this intentionally with Better Life Bags. But now that I see what it did in my life, I'm like, oh, there's so much truth there. So I had this desire. And I I think just enter in your like, think right now, whoever's listening, like, what is something that you wish that you could do? or that you want to do more of, it can be something as small as I wish I had more time to read a novel. Mm -hmm. um, Or I wish that I could grow a cookie business, you know, like what it could be big, it could be small. But we often feel like we don't have, it either has to be we we go after it now, or we don't do anything at all. I feel like those are kind of the two options that are out there in the world is we see people hustling super hard and and hiring babysitters full time so they can dedicate a hundred percent of their efforts to this dream of theirs of op- opening a business. Or we see people say like, well, right now I'm just going to stay at home. And that's, that's fine. If that's like, honestly, what God has given them. But if it's not, if this is just a cop out, like I can't do that because I have young kids. I feel like both are not, they're not right. Um, and so the way that the business grew was right along with my kids and right along with my family. And I said no to a lot of like big hustle things that probably could have made Better Life Bags a lot bigger than it is right now had I said yes to it and had I hustled. But I wasn't willing to not be involved in my kid's life. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I wasn't willing to let the dream of Better Life Bags die. And so it came to me as I was writing the book that it was really like, it was really managing the hustle. It was deciding and making a rubric for when will I say yes to an opportunity? And when will I Mm -hmm. say no? And that changes often right now in my life. I say no to any opportunity when my husband is in the army, when he um, is at drill. Um, If the opportunity lands on a weekend, when he's at drill, that's an easy, like hard. No, even if it's something I really want to do, you know, like I just feel like that's my rubric right now. There's other little things that I come up with. One One quick example is I'm taking this online business school and I really want to do it. Um, And I talked about it a little bit on social media last week. But instead of being like, I can't do that right now in my life, or instead of stopping everything else and just doing it, I've decided two hours a week I'm going to work on it. Tuesday and Thursday during my son's nap time. And that's how I manage the hustle. I'm going to get through it slower, but it's going to still be, it's not dead. You know, like I'm still fueling the fire a little bit. I'm letting it simmer until it's time to turn it up to a boil. And, you know, when things are simmering, it can get up to a boil much faster when the time is right mm-hmm. um, than if it's cold water in a pot, you know, that yes. you suddenly like, I need a boiling right now. Like it's now's the time. This cool opportunity is here. Um, and I need to have had it been boiling. I don't know if I'm making sense, but. I think that that makes
0: perfect sense because we, it's a, we th- seem to think it's an all or none mindset. For sure. And it's just not, I mean, there are things that get birthed in us. That just do not come to fruition for years and years. And that doesn't, but that doesn't mean, like you said, that things aren't being planted and cultivated. It just means the scale of it may not happen for a long time. And Mm -hmm. we really see that in the Bible. It's so interesting how we let certain ideas ruminate in our brain. But then if you look at God's word, it's like, no, like Moses was a shepherd for like 40 years before he went on this extravagant mission. You know, I mean, there's all these examples of that. You know, Jesus, he's back in the background. What was he doing from that age yeah. 12 to 33? Oh I mean, gosh, yeah, we just don't. We don't know all of the little tiny steps and decisions we make along the way that is playing into our life, our dream, whatever it may be. So it makes perfect sense. Yeah. As we begin to close out, what do you feel like are a few lessons that you have learned from working with people who are different from you, um, from a faith background, from a, you know, I mean... There's just so much more than just religious reasons. For there's sure. culture, there's faith, there's appearance, there's just the way the dynamic of your family is set up. What are some things you feel like you have learned from those women?
1: Gosh, yeah. I mean, the biggest thing, and I feel like maybe I've touched on it, is that we aren't that different um, and that it is scary. I mean, I just think, it, you know, it is things that are different than us are very scary when we first step into it. But I think the key is going ahead and stepping into it yeah. and, and pushing through the fear to get beyond it. I think one of my favorite stories, um, because not only have I experienced this, but the women in, in our workshop have experienced like tearing down those, those stereotypes and those barriers. And, um, because As much as like, I want to say like, oh, white people all stick together. Well, Bengali people all stick together and Yemeni people all stick together. And the African-American community in our neighborhood sticks together. You know, like that's just, we go towards like people. That's right. It's very natural for us. For sure. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what's cool about the workshop, I think, is that we've been, God has brought people from tons of different, ethnic groups and races and economic statuses and i remember the first time and this is in the book too but the first time an african-american woman walked in i had hired her off the street her story is crazy um you'll have to get the book to read it that's i feel right. like that's a what good... zondervan would want me to say <laughs> yeah
0: it's a really good part though <laughs>
1: Yeah, her story's crazy. And so she's off the street and walking into our workshop working for her first day. And one of my Bengali seamstresses comes up to me and says, I'm scared. And I was like, why? (laughs) And it it just kind of hit me like this is the first time that she has been in a room, like close quarters working relationship with someone who's not of her cultural, like racial, ethnic makeup. Mm -hmm. And she has been told wrong things about African Americans, you know, and she has never walked through that fear to get to the other side of it. And now they like hug each other and we're praying together and they're holding hands and they're giving each other each other's food, you know, making food for each other. And it's been very unexpected. I did not think that this is also what Better Life Bags would do is to break down, not only for myself, but for these women, just kind of the barriers and the fear of somebody different to get past it.
0: It's such a great example because of so many different people that I've talked to, people who live in various cultures, people who employ women um, from various backgrounds. That's almost always what is said is when you just step into someone else's life and you get to know that person, you realize they are a person yeah, just like you. Very rarely is the situation something that you will be continuing to live in fear toward after you know them. For sure. And it's just an amazing example of, yes, take the drive, take the step, go in the place, say hello, Mm -hmm. whatever it may be. So thank you for sharing that. Well, tell everybody where we can find you on social media. It's betterlifebags.com. That's where you can purchase online. Mm -hmm. Um, But where can we find you other places?
1: I hang out like 98% of the time on Instagram, That's right. so <laughs> I am Rebecca Smith online there, and yeah, Better Life Bags on Instagram as well.
0: Yeah, it's really fun to follow Rebecca on Instagram because she's typically posting fun stories or showing you how she's remaking her house a little bit, <laughs> and I always enjoy, because well, a lot of times I'm like, oh yeah, you know, that dark navy blue does look good. I'm going to do it. I'm doing the dark color. I'm going for it. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> So thanks so much for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me. If you are intrigued to learn more of Rebecca's story, please click over to wherever you purchase books and search for A Better Life, Slowing Down to Get Ahead. I read the book earlier this year and thoroughly enjoyed Rebecca's writing and reading her full story. If you enjoyed today's episode, or perhaps you have a takeaway or a question, please hop over to Instagram or Facebook and leave a comment at grace enough podcast underscore Amber. As always, it is a joy to interact with my listeners, but hard to do unless we connect on social media. I look forward to chatting with you and seeing you back here next Tuesday.
1: Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune in next time.